will take all of the crap that happens in your life and fertilize that seed of hope. Welcome to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast, exploring wellness tools to empower achieving your fullest potential. Your host is Sarah Price Hancock, Certified Rehabilitation Counselor with an Advanced Certificate in Psychiatric Rehabilitation and a Trained Peer Support Specialist. Sarah currently works as a Psych Rehab and Recovery Consultant, guest lecturing for universities and organizations determined to improve the quality of life by igniting hope, fostering choice and accountability, developing empowerment, creating a recovery environment, and finding meaningful purpose. So let's discuss emotional self-reliance with your host, Sarah. All right. Welcome back to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast. I am broadcasting to you live from the house on a hill in sunny San Diego. And today, I'm sorry, folks, it is a nice, balmy 66 degrees, so we can't complain. Anyway, I just wanted to open up with our traditional three things that went well, and I have to apologize because yours truly lives with a brain injury and created an email for all of her 11 faithful listeners to send emails to, and then promptly forgot where she wrote down the password, and unfortunately, rounding and rounding and rounding through multiple layers of emails with Microsoft support did not allow me to recover the email. So we have a new email address. And that is the first thing that went well today for me. I made a new email for the Emotional Self-Reliance podcast. And the important thing about this exercise, explaining what went well, you have to explain why it went well. That's actually the most critical component of the what went well and why exercise. Because if not, you're just making a list of things that went well, which can be very effective for people who don't need to develop their skills and pull themselves out of learned helplessness. But if you're like me, and I needed to develop those skills, and I needed to pull myself out of learned helplessness, you have to write out physically write out an explanation as to why you feel something went well. So let me try this again. One of the things that went well today was that I created an email, a new spanking new email for the Emotional Self-Reliance podcast, because after going through rounds with the support team, I chose to ditch them for a different, more accessible host, because I am powerful. Yes. All right. The number two thing that went well today, I got a bookcase. Brand new to me, free bookcase. And I attribute this going well to my beloved parents who saw it on the side of the street and thought of me because I've been needing a bookcase. And my fantastic husband who drove up the street with me and we used it, picked up picked it up and put it in the truck and took it home. And it is now in my office waiting for books. I'm so excited. And number two, this is awesome. As of this moment, I have 227 downloads of the Emotional Self-Reliance podcast because of you, my faithful listeners. 
and you've been sharing my message with anyone who needs a message of hope. So thank you very much. And thank you to all of my fantastic listeners for leaving reviews on iTunes, because I have some seller reviews on iTunes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So today we're going to be talking about something that's really dear to my heart, and that is suicide prevention. So today we're going to be talking about holiday lifeguarding. And I refer to it as holiday lifeguarding in this episode because, well, it's the holiday season. So whether you're Christian and you're celebrating Christmas, or you're Jewish and celebrating the Festival of Lights, or any of the other numerous religions out there who have a special time of the year, or if you're a pagan, you're celebrating the winter solstice, whatever it is, it is the holiday season, at the very least, because December 31st is New Year's Eve. New Year's calls into question a lot of people. We all kind of sit down and take a look at what we did this past year and what we're hoping to achieve this coming year. And for a lot of people who live with severe mental illness, this can be very disconcerting because a lot of us and people who live with any kind of chronic illness have endured so much during the previous year that oftentimes facing enduring that same kind of grossness for another year can be extremely overwhelming. So, I am qualified to speak to you on this topic because for 12 years I lived with auditory and visual hallucinations telling me how and why to kill myself. And I, by the grace of God, made it through. So, today I'm going to be sharing with you I've actually, initially I was like, oh, I've got the four biggest tools to prevent suicide. Yeah. And then as I started thinking about it and meditating about it and praying about it, I realized that I actually had, uh, let's see, it looks like I have 32 big tools to prevent suicide. And these are not in any particular order, but they're all wellness tools that I have used in order to help myself stay safe during times of distress. And so whether you're listening to this podcast during December or January, or whether you're learning, listening to this podcast at any other time of the year, hopefully things that I share with you today can either help yourself or help a loved one, coworker, friend, neighbor, anyone who might find themselves in a situation where they're contemplating taking their life. And there's this misnomer that people think that only a certain demographic, only people that live with severe mental illness, only people who have X, Y, or Z experience suicidal thinking. Actually, suicidal thinking is really not a respecter of persons. It can kind of go, um, it can affect anyone at any time out of the blue. And so what we have to do is we have to gather our wellness tools so that we can share them with others and help them find their way through, find their way through this rough patch, because that is what it is. And my rough patch, granted, lasted for 12 years, but sometimes the dark tunnel is longer than others, but there's always a light at the other end of the tunnel. And I promise you, I have learned from personal experience that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train. 
we can do this and i'm going to teach you how to hold on tight for this ride because that's what this is this is a ride here we go i'm going to start and i'm not going to go through and count all of these and like i said these are not in any particular order but these are the wellness tools that have helped me overcome my suicidal thinking suicidal thoughts and make it through so the first thing you have to distract yourself and it really doesn't matter how you distract yourself hopefully you distract yourself in a healthy way but distracting yourself or finding someone to distract you or if you see someone that's in what i call survivor mode we can talk about that a little bit later help them be distracted because the less you are alone with your thoughts and that spiral of grossness the easier it's going to be to pull yourself out of the vortex of weirdness so distraction and I prefer to distract myself with as many senses as possible. So whether it's seeing and hearing and feeling and tasting and smelling, all of the senses. The more senses you can involve in the distraction, the better off you are. The more you can distract yourself. So, distraction. And one of the things I like to distract myself, especially of late, I found an amazing, awesome hopeful song by the piano guys called it's gonna be okay and sometimes i just play that on a loop because i just have to remember that this is just a period of time a short period of time and it will get better so that brings me to the next thing which is knowing that time slows when you are sad when you are traumatized when you're feeling a lack of hope time slows down when you are sick time slows down when your brain is on fire and so it feels like this is going on forever it feels like this is never going to end but you have to remember to help yourself keep it in perspective understand that time slows down when things get really hard kind of like when you're climbing to the top of a roller coaster and everything slows down and then you're in for the wild ride of your life you can look at it that way i've got a whole bunch of analogies i'm just full of them but understand that this is just temporary and even if it's a nasty 12 years of temporary it is still temporary so distraction understanding that time slows down, knowing that things can and will change. And that's actually part of the reason why the what went well and why exercise was so effective for me in helping me pull myself out of the 12 years of chronic hearing and seeing suicidal ideations because and command hallucinations because gradually by doing the what went well and why exercise in explaining why things went well i began to realize that i could change things the people around me could change things and the universe and from my cultural perspective god god can change things so i realized this so understanding things can change can help you prevent suicide and that really is when you understand that things can change that brings hope and hope really is the number one number one biggest tool to prevent suicide finding some semblance of hope 
even if that hope is just a tiny particle of possibility it is a hope of hope just plant that seed and let it grow we'll take all of the crap that happens in your life and fertilize that seed of hope <laughs> okay so the next thing is knowledge understanding looking at what is possibly causing these problems so for me i personally did not start experiencing suicidal thoughts until i was put on medication and as bad as my life was before medication it wasn't until after i was put on medication that i became neurotoxic to the point that i started thinking of suicide so you really have to look at please take a careful look at the side effects and the black box warning if you live in america the black box warning insert on your medication because if your medication says that it may cause suicidal thoughts or actions you really have to take that seriously so understand you have the power and that doesn't mean that you should stop taking your medication because that is even more dangerous than taking medication but we're taking that information to your doctor and having a very frank and honest discussion about how your medication is impacting you and the suicidal thoughts that you're having will be very essential. Finding tools like um, Dr. Bragan's textbook on psychiatric drug withdrawal can help yourself, your family member, or your doctor understand how to safely withdraw you from medication. So yeah, knowledge is key in preventing suicide. And there's some exceptional YouTube videos by Dr. Bragan regarding suicide and medication if you want to take the take a look at those too. Let's see. The next tool in preventing suicide is to stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing your life to the lives of other people. We don't know what they're going through. We can only see what they are showing us. And let me assure you, I know this song that says, In the quiet heart is hidden sorrow that the eyes can't see. Not only is that true for my life, but it's true for every single person around us. No one knows what other people are going through. So please, let's stop comparing ourselves to other people because that is a rabbit hole with a gravity that is... I should ask my son how to explain the gravity of a rabbit hole, but I don't know how to explain the gravity of a rabbit hole, but I do know how to explain the massive gravity of comparing myself to other people and comparing my life to other people's lives, comparing what I have or don't have to what other people do have or don't have. That is an exceptional way to pull myself into nastiness. So please stop comparing yourself to other people. And in doing that, you have to really work on developing your self-talk. And this is kind of a component of a couple different parts of helping prevent suicide. You need to begin speaking to yourself as the person you really are. You are a human being who deserves respect. And it's for that reason that when you talk to yourself about yourself, you have to respect yourself. 
No one else is going to respect you unless you respect yourself. And you have to teach, talk to yourself kindly. Don't refer to yourself as stupid. Don't refer to yourself as crazy. Don't refer to yourself as your diagnosis. You are a human being. You are a divine human being. You are having a mortal experience. You have innate potential that probably most of us haven't even recognized and tapped into yet. And so please develop your self-talk, develop your respectful way of talking to yourself. I discovered that when I'm sick, I never use swear words. But when I'm sick, I've got like the nasty grossness of swear words just piling in my head, screaming at myself. And so I work really hard not to use swear words. And I work even harder not to think swear words because I realize that I'm disrespecting myself when I do that. So work on respecting yourself and developing your self-talk can help. And working to respect others and, and helping other people talk kindly about themselves. I have one of my best friends the other day was having such a hard time and he started referring to himself as a stupid idiot. And I just took him by the hand and I said, please stop talking about my best friend like that because I love him and no one deserves to hear that because he's awesome. So please work on talking to yourself respectfully, work on developing your self-talk. Respect yourself, respect the experiences you have. I know one time I called my nurse and I was completely falling apart and I was just absolutely falling apart. <laughs> and she said, Sarah, can you do me a favor? Can you just, can you just take a moment and just draw a stick figure? Draw out a stick figure for every single role that you're playing in your life right now. So if it's a daughter, if it's a sister, if it's a wife, you know, just write down every single role that you have with a little stick finger and call me back after you've figured out how many roles you're currently juggling right now. And I thought, oh, okay. I hung up the phone and I sat down and I wrote out all of the roles that I had. I was a sister. I was an aunt. I was a daughter. I was a roommate at the time. I was, um, a graduate student, I was, I mean, I had just a list. I had so many people gathered, so many stick figures gathered on that page that when I called her back and she asked me to count them up, I said, 23. And she said, Sarah, anyone with 23 roles would be overwhelmed. I think you're doing amazing. And it really helped me put things into perspective. Helping yourself keep things in perspective. Sometimes it takes writing out stick figures on a piece of paper. That can be very helpful. And it gives you kind of a way to recognize just how hard you're working. And, and for that reason, once you recognize just how hard you're working, the next tool is sometimes we really need to delegate. Sometimes we need to look at what we can keep doing and what we can't keep doing. And sometimes we need to delegate a responsibility for a little bit. So, for example, I have actually had to call people and say, I know I promised that I would do this, but I am 
overwhelmed with the X, Y, and Z right now. And so if you could work on this for me, if you could work on this with me, or if we could postpone this deadline, that would be awesome. Because what we're trying to do in this suicide prevention is just look at this poor struggling camel with the bajillion and five straws on their back and carefully lift each and every straw, or at least many of those straws off the camel's back so they, the camel can have enough strength to keep going. Delegating is another tool to prevent suicide. Oh, going back to uh, developing your self-talk, work on becoming your own best friend. Work on becoming your own cheerleader. You know, for the longest time, I had just a couple cheerleaders in my life, and most of them lived out of town because I had really burnt a lot of bridges with the people who were in town because of my behavior and my symptoms and the grossness that I'd been through and the, and the diagnosis and the scary stigma attached with the diagnosis that I really refer to as discrimination, need a cheerleader and becoming your own cheerleader. These are things that you kind of have to do for yourself because you can't expect other people to do them. The only way you can expect other people to do them is if they were all superhuman. But everyone is dealing with their own straws on their back. Everyone has a lot of straws to deal with. And so we cannot expect other people to always carry our load. We can hope that sometimes they will be capable of helping us but ultimately, it is up to us, which can be very frightening when life is overwhelming. And it's in those moments that your number one priority is just to keep breathing, just keep recognizing that things will change and we can make them change. So the next tool that can help prevent suicide is, oh, this is important. We need to stop shooting on ourselves. So that means life tends to get us to should on ourselves. We say we should have done this, we could have done this, we would have done this, I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda. That's like the worst game in the world to play, especially when you're going through at the end of the night all the things that you coulda or shoulda or woulda done today. That's just a really bad game to play. And so please stop shooting on yourself. Stop telling yourself what you should have done. Stop telling other people what they should have done. Because it already happened. There ain't nothing you can do to take it back. But there are things you can do going forward. So, we will stop shooting on ourselves. And we will change what we can change. And work to figure out those things that we cannot yet change. Next, develop a sense of humor. You know, I've been told many times in my life that people can't understand how I made it through what I've made it through. And truth be told, I really have to agree with them. <laughs> Part of the reason I have come as far as I have is because I have learned to develop a sense of humor. Because it is more fun to laugh than it is to cry. I've done enough of the crying and it is more fun to laugh. Looking for something funny in this bizarre thing that we call life can actually be very helpful. Sometimes distracting yourself by watching a comedy. I know for me, movies, they can be distracting when I'm really sick. Finding something to laugh about is fun. My husband and I, sometimes when we go on trips or we drive around town, we play the alphabet game on license plates where you take the license plate ahead of you and pretend it's an acronym and you go back and forth on those letters until one or the other person comes up with the best, most funny 
acronym for the license plate in front of you. That's our version of the license plate game. So develop a sense of humor. I wrote treating these thoughts like they're a game. I have friends who play these video games, and these video games, there's always an out, there's always a way to figure out how to get through these video games. You just have to keep trying and trying and trying. Back in the 80s, dropping that extra coat token or that extra quarter in your video game, you just have to keep trying. So there is a way to figure it out, you just have to figure it out. And sometimes that requires looking at things from a bunch of different directions, gathering all your tools and all your experience points and figuring it out, treating this little situation that you're in. Remind yourself that this is a little situation. That little situation can be very heavy and can be very overwhelming, but there is a way out. And sometimes there's multiple ways out onto the next level. And the next level is going to be more exciting and more fun and more challenging, but it's you're going to have the experience of the ex- what you just went through. So treating this like it's a game. Take a hard look at changing what you eat. For me, I've had to radically alter my diet. I basically only eat vegetables except for corn, rice, potatoes, a little bit of meat, eggs, fish, and that's basically what I eat. I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat anything that's aged. I don't eat anything that's fermented. I don't eat anything that's chocolate because that's fermented. I don't eat a lot of things. But you know what? My gut can now absorb the nutrition that it needs. And so taking a hard look at what you eat, for me personally, because my gut lingers fungal, anytime I eat anything that has malted barley flour in any form, I can have problems because malt feeds candida. When the candida grows, it poops and farts out 20 different alcohols that agitate my central nervous system. And yours truly has lived on this new lifestyle of eating very well and very healthy for almost two years. In January, it'll be two years. And so I chose, yes, I did, I chose to eat something off the diet, a small donut hole. And guess who woke up in tears this morning? Because it takes several days for candida to grow. And I made several bad choices over the weekend by my food. And really, they were just small choices, but they impacted me pretty nasty. And so taking a hard look at your food, talk to a doctor, talk to someone you trust, work really hard to recognize how you can work on eating better. This will help reduce the toxic load in your body and ultimately take a straw off that camel's back. Because the better you eat, the less toxins you're dealing with, the less toxins you're dealing with, the less likely your brain is to catch fire. The next tool is to take a hard look at who you surround yourself with and ask yourself if they won't make you want to be a better person, if they inspire you to move forward in life, or if they act more like those nasty voices in your head and cut you down and beat you up emotionally or physically or any other kind of way. Take a hard look at who you surround yourself with and then work to surround yourself with people who make you feel better. So for me personally, this is why I chose to not participate in a lot of organizations where specifically only for people living with mental illness because I knew that they were struggling just as much as I was and I wanted to be around people who were not struggling because I knew that I needed a hand up surrounding myself with healthy people, surrounding myself with people who 
were goal-oriented and people who were moving on with their life was very helpful for me in many aspects. Obviously, I got a lot out of my peers. I got a lot out of um, opportunities to be with people with mental illness. But for me personally, I needed a hand up. So I needed to be around people who weren't sick because I needed to figure out how to use those kinds of tools and how to involve myself in ways that would help me pull myself out of the rabbit hole of grossness. So take a hard look at who you surround yourself with and ask yourself, do they make you want to be a better person? The next thing is, this is kind of bizarre, but this is a very practical help for alleviating one of those straws on a camel's back, and that is earplugs. Yes, you heard me correctly, earplugs. So the reason I say earplugs is because um, I was not born with sensory processing disorder. I did not know that I had acquired sensory processing disorder, but apparently after prolonged use of benzodiazepines and or antidepressants, any medication that impacts your GABA receptors will gradually elevate your sensitivity to sound. I did not know that. I learned that from my doctor. I had learned a couple years ago that I was acutely sensitive to sound, but I didn't know why. I actually started using earplugs when I was a graduate research assistant because I was uh, working in an office where all of the graduate students would hang out and talk and enjoy themselves. And I was trying to work and I couldn't because I could not focus. One of my professors, I went to talk to him because he had his, his desk in the same area. And he, I was like, hey, Mark, how do you focus? And he's working away. Mark, how do you focus? And he looks up and he pulls out an earplug. What? And it dawned on me, I need some earplugs. So I went and I got some silicone earplugs, Max earplugs, you can get them at Target or Walmart for like six bucks. And I started using silicone earplugs. Can I just tell you that it reduced my stress level in such a way I could finally breathe. I started using these earplugs in a variety of situations, not just while I was trying to work. I started using them to sleep because suddenly my brain could ignore all of the noise that it was still processing when I was trying to fall asleep. I used these earplugs when I went to family activities for years, seriously 12 years. Every single time I went to a family activity, my parents would drop me off at the ER on the way home from the family activity. And we didn't realize it was because I had become overstimulated with the sound. So I was having major meltdowns because of my poor brain was just overloaded with sensory issues. After I learned about this secret, <laughs> using earplugs. I went to a family reunion and the entire weekend I used my earplugs and I could still hear what people were going, what people were saying. I could still hear what was going on around me, but all of the laughter, all of the noise, all of the conversations were filtered through earplugs. And on the way home, my parents turned to me and said, would you like us to drop you off at the ER? And I was, why? And they said, well, we have a 12 year history, Sarah, which hospital? And I just looked at them and I said, am I acting weird? And they said, no. I said, have I had any meltdowns this weekend? They kind of looked at each other. I'm watching them through their rearview mirror. No. And I said, okay, well, I'm doing great. I'm feeling good. I'm not overwhelmed and I don't need to go to the hospital. My dad kind of looks over at my mom. And my mom kind of looks over at my dad. And we realized that I had just broken a 12-year history of going to the ER and getting an involuntary hospitalization because of sensory processing overload. So get yourself some earplugs. Next, sleep. Sleep is a major issue. If you cannot sleep, we need to get you some help. 
and I will talk on another piece about finding sleep and getting sleep, but sleep, we have to work on getting sleep. Sleep is imperative to take a straw off that camel's back, because essentially we're working on reducing this cumulative effect of stress. Stress on our brain, stress on our central nervous system, stress as part of reducing this cumulative effect and supporting our body. You can support your central nervous system and body by, this is something that I learned when I was going through withdrawal, if I could support the other processes that had been impacted by the medication, I could better support my body and central nervous system. And I actually have friends who do this even though they're not titrating from medication and it helps them alleviate their stress as well. And that is to use pea protein isolate, unflavored pea protein isolate. It is bioavailable. It is something that your body doesn't have to work extra hard to break down because it's already been isolated from the sugar and the starch and your body has immediate access to energy. And so I am not giving you medical advice, but I am telling you what has worked for me. You're welcome to talk to your own doctor about that, but supporting your central nervous system. I've used pea protein isolate to help me sleep. I've used pea protein isolate to help reduce stress in my life. And I actually even used it today because I moved a bookcase. I started slurring my words and I started having problems because the tardive disorder started kicking in. And so I used a protein isolate shake and guess what? I'm speaking clearly. So this is awesome. I just realized that right now. That's another thing that went well. Another thing that you can do to help prevent suicide is find a place that needs you. It doesn't matter if you're working or if you're volunteering. I had to start volunteering before I could begin working, but find a place that needs you. Find a place that needs what you have to offer. For me, when I was living in the abusive group home, I chose to volunteer at the local elementary school, and that teacher really, really, really needed help in her class. I was able to volunteer there. If you're looking for a place to volunteer and you don't really know what options are available to you, one of the best places to go, justserve.org, find an organization that needs you. I can, I can assure you that you have something to offer someone and that in offering your talents to other people, even if that means just smiling with someone, being with someone, or picking up trash, or helping paint over graffiti, or helping clean out yards, or helping shovel snow, or whatever that is, find some place that needs you. Because when we feel valued, we recognize that we are valuable. It's difficult for us to feel that we are valued. Finding people who validate you, one of the easiest way to do that is to provide service. When you provide service, people are always, always, always grateful for the service you provide. So there's that. Oh, this is important. Obviously, you need to give any temptations of any kind of whatever that you would use to harm yourself to someone else that you trust. Or get away from it, go somewhere else so that it's not even a temptation. Because that is critical. If you have a plan and you have a way to carry out that plan, then it's time to call for help. It's time to get someplace that you know will prevent you from hurting yourself. Personally, I would prefer to spend the night at a friend's house, spend a night someplace that I know can keep me safe, 
I, for the longest time, went to the hospital because there was no other place for me to go. No one that I felt comfortable staying with. No one that I felt comfortable sharing my problems with. No one that I felt comfortable really carrying this burden. Um, the double-edged sword of this is that if you go to the hospital, it can be a very traumatic experience. I have endured that all too many times because... Each and every time I went to the hospital, um, over 12 years, which was about every four to six weeks, there was a lot of trauma involved. And I don't want to go into that right now, but I would recommend getting yourself to someplace that can keep you safe. Someplace, hopefully, that's empathetic and warm and kind and non-judgmental. Someplace where you feel safe, because that's ultimately what's going to help you. Just a place that you can stay safe. So whether or not that's perhaps a crisis house, which would probably be my preferred place to go if I were in crisis, if I couldn't find a loved one to stay with, or I couldn't find someone that I trusted to stay with me, then I would go to a crisis house. But if that's not an option then going to the hospital is the next option. It can be very difficult for you to do when your brain is on fire, like mine has been so often. If you can find someone who can help you budget, I know a lot of times suicidal th thoughts and feelings come for a lack of ability to provide for yourself or your family or your physical needs, room, rent, food, electricity. And so learning how to take what little you have and budget it can be very helpful. There's organizations that can help. I know I took a class called Self-Reliance at Church, which I highly recommend. They had financial self-reliance, and I learned a lot from that class. If you can find someone who can help you learn how to do these kinds of things, someone who's patient, someone who can explain things, and if you're like me, someone who can explain things again and again and again. My poor father is a CPA, and he's taught me how to budget so many times. He's probably, he feels like he's getting blue in the face. I need constant reminders and constant check-ins and constant alarms to help myself remember all the tools that I've been given. Again, finding someone who's not judgmental, someone who will not should on you, can be very helpful. Another tool to help prevent suicide is to do something productive. And for me, oftentimes that meant getting out of bed and just making my bed, because at times that was really all of the energy I had, and I didn't really think I had enough energy to do that. Sometimes, at least when you do something productive, then you can look at what you've just done and say, oh my word, I did it. I did it. So whether that's getting out of bed, making your bed, and then laying on top of it, that's just fine. You did something productive. Or getting out of bed and just saying, you know what, I'm going to try to take a shower. That can be very helpful as well. Sometimes I've sat in my shower with the water running on me. But just getting out of bed and doing something productive. And it really doesn't matter what that productive thing is. Sometimes I have taken all of those nice thoughts that I wish someone else would tell me, that I was valued, that I was a good person, that I was appreciated. I've actually gone to a parking lot with a post-it note pad and written the things I wish people would tell me and actually stuck them on strangers' cars or stuck them on cars of friends at church because I wanted someone to tell them how valuable they were. I wanted someone to not have those same kinds of feelings of despair. And so I would write out what I wanted to hear and stick that on post-it notes of cars of people. Because 
everyone needs to hear how important they are and how good they are and how how deserving they are of kindness and so i would write that on little post-it notes with little smiley faces little hearts and just helps other people have a better day so do something productive the next thing is to remember that your rear view mirror is smaller than your windshield for a reason when i say that i mean that it's so easy to look backwards at all the things we should have done or could have done or didn't do or all of the trauma that we've been through all of the injustice that we've experienced all of the everything it's very easy to get sucked into staring backwards again your rearview mirror is smaller than your windshield for a reason so don't spend your time driving forward while staring at your rearview mirror that's a good way to go off a cliff again since we're not comparing ourselves to each other you can't drive forward while you're staring out your side window that's a good way to drive off a cliff too so remember that your rearview mirror is smaller than your windshield for a reason stop feeding that bonfire of guilt and shame by revisiting everything you have or haven't done in your life so stare out your windshield at what lies ahead and if there are things you need to talk to someone about don't delay maybe a person that you trust or maybe talking to a person that you hurt or maybe talking to someone that you offended or maybe talking to a spiritual leader sharing with someone else the things that you've done sharing that in prayer to god to nature whoever it is just get it off your chest because otherwise it'll act like a millstone around your neck so spend your time looking out your windshield at the view ahead yay i think i'm getting through this this is like exponentially longer podcast than i was expecting to give but the last two things are the things that have helped me the most you know it's really hard but so worth it to open up your mouth and ask for help it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of guts it takes a lot of strength and i know that you have it and i know that there are people in your life who want to help you they might not even realize how badly you're struggling for that reason because no one has telepathy we cannot expect other people to read our minds and we can't expect other people to be able to know exactly how desperately we need help reach out and speak up and honestly if you are a loved one or a friend or a neighbor of someone who struggles you have to understand that oftentimes the reason this person is struggling is because they cannot identify what they need that will help them and so if they could identify that they wouldn't be in the situation they're in and so oftentimes i would have i can't even tell you countless people who would tell me oh if you need anything give me a call just just give me a call if you need anything i did need something but i couldn't tell them what it was because i didn't know what it was my brain was so on fire I couldn't tell them, well, I just need someone to do my dishes because I can't figure out how to put the soap on the plate. Or I'm so overwhelmed because everything's stacking up in my house. I just need some help even sweeping the floor. Or I need some help figuring out how to make a meal because I cannot even read a recipe at this point and I can't even remember what I enjoy eating because my brain is on fire. But I couldn't express myself. Yes, we need to speak up if only to say we need help. And yes, the people around us need to brainstorm and just think, you know what, if I was in Sarah's situation, what would I want? And then you can ask me, you know, Sarah, I noticed that you've 
had this pile of clean clothes on your couch for two, three days. And is it okay if I help you fold it? Because <laughs> you know what? Let's just fold it together. Or like, I have a friend who's awesome and she came over and she probably recognized I hadn't showered in a week or two because I was really sick at the time. This was several years ago. And she said, Sarah, you know what? I found the most amazing soap. It smells so relaxing. Let's go get some. And I was like, what? Really? And so she's dragging me out of the house in my pajamas. And we're literally going to this luxurious store in my pajamas. And we're standing in the aisle just smelling soap. And as I was smelling that soap, I was like turning on the senses in my body. Yes, I can smell something. Yes, I am human. Yes, I need to take a shower. Yes, I should do this. And we walked out of that store with new soap that smelled nice. And I probably had nice selling soap at home, but she made it into a fun journey. And so when I got home, I had this new bar of soap and I had new shampoo and I could feel like a human again when I took my shower. So just kind of look at those things that people are living with around you and just kind of open your eyes. You know, I am a Christian and there is a part in the Bible where Christ is going into the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks his disciples, his friends who go with him to Gethsemane, he asks them to watch and pray. And I think that if those disciples knew what he was going to endure when he was in Gethsemane, they would have watched and prayed. And they would have been there to support him. But they didn't know what he was going through. And so they fell asleep. And it's our job to watch and pray over those around us. It's our job to look and see what other people are going through. It's our job to step away from our own whatever it is that we're going through and look and watch out. Be those lifeguards for people around us. One of my favorite places in San Diego is the glider port. And at the glider port, there's a little lifeguard stand that's like sits on the very edge of the cliff. There's a little lifeguard. I mean, it's a little stand. He literally sits there for hours at a time with a little fold-up chair and they rotate through with their binoculars and they just scan the beach, scan the beach, scan the beach, looking for people in distress. And that, as our purpose as human beings, that's part of our purpose is to look for those who are in distress and remind them who they really are. Now, the last thing that helped me the most was to come to an abiding knowledge of who I really am and what my purpose is. Because until I understood who I really am and until I discovered my purpose, and I'm not exactly sure what my specific purpose in life is, but I think it has something to do with sharing hope with other people. I think it has something to do with taking my own experience and polishing it and sharing it in a way that can lighten the burden of others. Finding out who I was, for me personally, required a lot of prayer because there is some part of me, I'd heard of it my entire life growing up, that I was a child of God and that he had sent me here and that I had a purpose. But it wasn't until I understood and felt in my heart of hearts that I am his child and that I do have a purpose, that I was able to figure out what that purpose could be. If you do not believe in God, I'm sure that there are other 
sources greater than you that you can tap into, whether it's nature, whatever it is, just reach out and find an understanding of who you really are. It's my personal feeling that you are as valuable as I am and that you really are my brother or sister and that you really are someone that I'd like to meet because you're important and you're worth it. And I'm sorry for whatever you're going through. But I promise you, I promise you, it will get better. And I know that because even in the desperate darkness that I endured, with those auditory hallucinations telling me how and why to kill myself 24-7 unless I was asleep and then I had nightmares, I made it through. And you can too. And if you're a loved one or a friend of someone who seriously struggles, like I have in the past, just be with them. Just reach out, make a call, make a visit, and just let them know that you're there. Maybe offer to do something or bring them a bar of soap. <laughs> or or just let them know that, that you're willing to help and you don't know how to help. And it's okay that they're struggling and it's okay to talk about this and that the most important thing for them to know is that you value them and that your life would never be the same without them. There you have it. I went through all of my 32 things that we can do for ourselves and for our loved ones as holiday lifeguards. The next episode that I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about the red flares of suicide. So that's things that are possible red flares that someone might be thinking about suicide. I chose to do this one first because I didn't want to leave people just like waiting. Well, now what can I do for someone if they're having these thoughts? So I'm giving you this first. And the second part of my series will be next week on Wellness Wednesday. I hope you have a fantastic week. If you like this episode, please share it. If you learned anything from this episode, please share it with a friend. And please subscribe. Please leave me a comment. Please leave me a review. I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Google Podcasts. And I'm on Twitter. You can find me directly. And my Twitter handle is Psych Recovery. And you can shoot me an email at my new email address. So that's emotional, E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L, self, S-E-L-F, reliance, R-E-L-I-A-N-C-E, podcast, at gmail.com, emotional self-reliance podcast at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. Don't forget to include three things that went well with an explanation as to why you feel each thing went well. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again to my awesome listeners. Thank you again for sharing this and thank you again. Thank you so much from the, my heart. Thank you for being holiday lifeguards. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast. For more information about this episode, check the show notes on www.psychrecoveryandrehab.com slash ESR podcast. Was this episode helpful? Leave a review and share with a friend. Keep exploring wellness tools to empower achieving your fullest potential 
by tuning into our weekly episodes. Until then, take care.